Bretto, for years our Sydney-based wellness couch fans have been saying, when are you coming to Sydney? Oh, they've been banging the door down, MP. Well, Sydney Ciders will be in your neck of the woods on Saturday, June the 2nd. We're going out of the CBD, we're heading straight down the highway to the regions of the Illawarra and the beautiful town of Kiama for our third and final wellness base camp of the year. Join Fuad Kassab from Quirky Cooking to talk all about food, naturopath, gut guru and female health extraordinaire, Helen Patteron. Stress is a hot topic with Dr. Maria Zushman and you and I, Bretto, are talking about succeeding at life and love and work at the same time as succeeding in health because there is no wellness in a life that doesn't feel good. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the Wellness Base Camp, one full day of inspiration and education on Saturday, June 2 from 10 till 5. There's over 1000 bucks in door prizes, a raft of world-class local exhibitors and a room full of people just like you. Bring a buddy and get two tickets for the price of one before they're all gone. All details and tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast, and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance to discuss the journey from the couch to a half marathon. We explore the guiding principles, including a focus on duration over distance, the weekly volume and frequency as opposed to an individual session distance or duration, training zones, sports psychology, time management, and so much more. Hi, Katie, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Steph. Good to be here. Really looking forward to talking about our couch to half marathon topic today. Um, So like just for context, I think we should probably break down what a half marathon is first, just for the benefit of some of our listeners that might not have dabbled or been, I guess, exploring running at this point in time. Yeah, it's certainly a popular distance when a full marathon, which is 42.2 kilometres, seems daunting or quote-unquote for crazy people, which is something I heard this morning over conversation. But a half marathon is 21.1 kilometres. And there are plenty of events around, whether it's road or trail, uh, in the hills, in the city, they are everywhere and they're very accessible. So it's, a, it's becoming a very popular distance for people to dip their toe into to running. 
Yeah. And do you think it's, you know, obviously a bit of a natural progression? Like we see a lot of 5K and 10K events, which I think a lot of people get quite comfortable with um, and they obviously want that next challenge. Yeah, immensely. Uh, it's a big jump to go from uh, running 10Ks to racing or participating in a 42.2. And it's that great step up uh, without that psychological uh, overwhelm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Such a great challenge. So let's talk about planning for a half marathon. Firstly, from a training perspective, so let's speak to a listener that might be doing like but not very much running at all first and then we can probably, you know, extrapolate that for those that are doing the 5 to 10K distance if that's cool with you. Yeah, okay. So if we start for someone that wants to go straight to the big stuff so that perhaps they haven't done a lot of 5 or 10K events but they're just more uh, genuinely interested in doing a 21.1 and don't have that history, it, it is absolutely possible to go straight to the 21.1. You just need to be more conscientious uh, in the build, making sure it um, doesn't overload you too quickly and has a balance with recovery or other activities like swimming and yoga to uh, balance out all that load on the body that will be quite a shock if you haven't done something like this before and that's where injury management comes in unfortunately once we get into these distances the risk of injury and niggles becomes much greater and you, you do get yourself at risk so that's probably the first thing to do it in a progressive manner that's quite unquote safe uh, it's very easy to get excited in the first sort of six weeks of a program and go I'm feeling amazing. I want to do more and more and more and more and more. Uh, but it is important to lay the early foundations correctly first so that later in the program when it really counts, you feel vital and strong and don't have heaps of inflammation allowing you to do the peak weeks and the longer kilometres when it really counts. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really important part because it's, you know, everyone, it's tempting to be excited, obviously, and to, I guess, ignore the basics and try and jump too far ahead. And what we often see is, you know, that ending in disaster. So you can really start with those intentions in mind and, and have a really beautiful experience rather than it being something that is stressful or making you really tired or sending you broke with physio or osteo appointments. I know, right? Like it, and, and we're saying this because it's common and we see mm. it all the time, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, coming from, call it couch, to half marathon, the the key would be, as I said, laying right foundations. And the first one I would recommend is making sure you complete a proper warm-up and what we call a mobility or activation protocol. So you're getting the body primed for movement, minimising injury risk. Uh, this goes for anyone. And that should only take five to ten minutes. It doesn't have to be really complicated or long. Uh, and releasing the areas that are tight or sore before you go hit the pavement. And then with the warm-up, making sure you don't go gun-ho to a really high heart rate straight away. So easing your body into it, particularly if it's first thing in the morning and you've just woken up, uh, and ensuring that you're getting that 
activation of the key muscles that stabilise you through your running form. Uh, a really important thing to note is if you can't stand on one leg or balance on one leg in an arabesque position or do a single leg squat or a single leg deadlift, that's a really strong red flag that in running you're going to struggle down the path because running is essentially a thousand times over standing on one leg. Mm. (laughs) That single stance where we need to be really strong. And so your mobility and activation protocol-free running needs to work on those elements. Yeah, for sure. And just to break that down further, I think you've probably got some some videos that you could direct us to. Um, so could you please, for someone that might not know what types of exercises to start with? Yeah, definitely. I like to start with two key ones. One is a bretzel and we'll have we'll link to a photo and a video because it's honestly too hard to explain. Yeah, sure. It involves releasing like your thoracic spine, lumbar spine, pecs, shoulders, quads, glutes. So to start with, it's a nice check-in to get into that position and take notice of what is tight. And then I get athletes to go, okay, well, I'm noticing that my hip flexors or my, the front of my thighs are the most tight in the spretzel position. Therefore, I'm going to focus my next mobility exercise on releasing my hip flexors. That way we don't just follow a mobility program program or protocol blindly and we do what's right for us on any given day. Um, Or someone might jump into a pretzel position and it's their thoracic spine and, and pec or chest that's feeling tight. So that would be their first point of call for their next mobility exercise so that's why I like the bretzel and in that position it's quite relaxing so you start there and the most important part of is integrating breath and so we start to work on belly breathing and diaphragmatic breathing in that position to help release any tension which then helps lay the foundations for that run to come so that your breathing patterns are more efficient which is only going to help get you fitter, stronger, faster. So that'd be my first point of call, the pretzel. That's pretzel, the food, starting with a B. And then the second is rolling patterns. So imagine you're a six-month-old baby learning to roll over, lying on your back, and we want to get over to your front. And again, I'll link you guys to some videos it sounds simple, but it's really not. And I know Steffi can attest to this. It's quite a skill to learn to roll over with the right coordination of connecting upper body to core to lower body. And again, that lays the foundation for the, the running that's to come. Yeah, for sure. Such a beautiful summary because you're right. I think it's, it can be a little bit time consuming or people convince themselves that it's not worth it when a hundred percent it is so like such a really important investment, but neither do we want you wasting your time spending too much long, too much time doing exercises that aren't really suitable to your current body and weaknesses. Yes. And with, uh, when choosing or doing uh, a warm up protocol or mobility, the key is to know whether it's working for you or, or that was worth your while is ask yourself, did it create change? If it didn't create change, you probably need to move on and try something else because if it's not creating change, then it, it's not, there's no value to it. And uh, so, so we don't want to just jump into a flex a stretch for the sake of it, I guess. 
Yeah, for sure. And so with that, would you measure like pre and post after that exercise? Yeah, so the, that bretzel exercise is a great one to check in with and see, oh, okay, yep, my hip flexors were sore prior, now they're all good, I'm right, I'm right to go. That was an effective warm-up, for example. Mm, mm. Cool. And then you mentioned um, how to start the run. Can you detail more around heart rates for someone that might not have listened to? Yeah, um, so we your- utilise. Yeah, sorry, we're just breaking up there. But, yes, I think you're getting at the Maffetone method, which Mm -hmm. is um, the formula developed from Phil Maffetone. And the heart rate formula is taken from 180 minus your age with a few other parameters uh, based on injury or illness. So if we take 180 minus your age, that number is where we want to make sure you stay under for your warm-up. Mm-hmm. And during the warm-up, what I recommend is having a focus on form, being mindful and working on the breath. A lot of runners, um, particularly when starting out and they might not have had experience, will be quite heavy chest breathers. So they don't get to the depths of their lungs by belly breathing or diaphragmatic breathing. And so if we can set that foundation in the first 10 minutes at a low heart rate, Again, it uh, sets you up to sustain running longer and more efficiently at a lower heart rate, minimising injury risk, but also improving performance. Yeah, again, so important. So then what do you say to the people that feel like their heart rate is always really high as soon as they start running? Uh, They've probably gone into it in a stressed or rushed state. That's the most common scenario I come across. And so if they haven't done that mobility work where it integrates breathing and allows someone to get into that restful state, that's probably the first point of call, like making sure someone's uh, in a calm state before they go out and run. Uh, Sometimes caffeine can shoot someone's heart rate up for a warm-up or pre-run. And then another scenario might be that they just not haven't quite got the fitness yet and they haven't got that aerobic base. And so we need to work on building that through lots of different factors and that might mean uh, adopting a jog-walk protocol, which is so effective. Yeah, cool. And I know you've advised this before. I don't know how many clients you give it to, but what are your thoughts on meditation pre-run oh amazing and i think you could do you know still meditation and that would be effective but for those that that's a bit of a stretch for or find difficult to sit still for example you can still do a mindfulness session while doing your mobility work you know as you move through positions and the breath work required through uh, some exercises pre-run, you can treat that like a mindfulness session, which would have a similar result, definitely. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so and we've got a few go cases where, sorry, where people have done a uh, a math test, which is where we look at the pace someone can achieve for that heart rate we spoke about earlier at 180 minus your age. And we've tested them one week and let's say their pace was eight minutes, 30 per kilometre at 140 beats per minute. 
and it, to, sometimes it raises a red flag. I'm like, oh, that was interesting. I, I felt that athlete probably would have got a better result. So I investigate, you know, what's happened prior to that quote-unquote test or run. Often the word test <laughs> sends people's heart rate through the roof. And so even reframing the purpose so that it doesn't feel like that psychological pressure can help bring the heart rate down. But uh, there's been a few cases where I've got them to redo that test only three or seven days later and their pace will come down to, say, seven or seven minutes 30 per kilometre just from doing either yoga beforehand, 10-minute mindfulness and some breathing work. So I've definitely seen it come together very quickly when people implement that strategy. Yeah, so much in the mind, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, get in our own way most of the time. Mm, for sure. So where to next? Well, we've done warm-up. Uh, we've talked about mobility. And then the key is if you're coming from couch to half marathon, the, the main set of the workout would still be at low heart rate because we're training for endurance. And much to the myths, um, you absolutely can get faster by pulling back, going a little bit slower and working on that aerobic engine. So just because we're getting someone to run at a lower heart rate, it doesn't mean we're taking away their ability to build speed over a half marathon distance. And I think that's the first thing to really accept and wrap our heads around to embrace that when training for endurance, the focus needs to be on time on legs or time on feet, not necessarily the distance that we cover in a session or a week. So it's more about how much time are we spending in our aerobic capacity zone, so zone two, or at that math heart rate, because that's what's going to build our engine. Our heart and our physiology doesn't know the difference between it doesn't adapt based on running 2K versus 4K. It adapts based on the time spent in a zone to adapt to the physiology. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So break it down then in terms of how you would, um, I guess, communicate that to a client in terms of what durations they need to be covering when their mind's probably fixated on that 21.1. Yeah. So usually a program would go for or a key build for a half marathon from where to go. Let's say it would usually be around 12 weeks, which means at week 10 and 11, we're looking to achieve our peak weeks where and a peak week is where you have your greatest volume and that peak week should look different for everyone it's very individual based on your lifestyle uh, your previous sporting history any predisposition to illness or injury so that's the first thing to know that just because Julie next door is running two hours in her peak week doesn't necessarily mean you need to and that's probably the most important point is to keep it individual. And there's, I personally don't work off a, uh, a set number 
for how long someone needs to run for a half marathon. It's absolutely based on where someone is at and their ability. But if we look at, say, uh, the example of uh, a beginner, their first half marathon, what we often do for those peak weeks and the large volume is firstly consider how long they will run over the span of seven days. So we don't just look at the micro of the one session. In a week, we want to add that volume up. And that might be over five sessions, depending on someone's schedule, or it could be over three. And so therefore, the the duration of each session would be quite different based on that frequency. And how to decide on the frequency per week would be based on lifestyle to be honest, and timing and availability and what you've got to fit in. So let's use an example of uh, frequency of running five sessions a week. You might have three during the week that are between half an hour and 45 minutes and then we'd have some long runs on the weekend. What I like to do to minimise injury risk but also physiological stress that can lead to hormone imbalance and overtraining is to do split sessions. So in the morning do a long run, and then in the afternoon do a second run on fatigue legs. It minimises poor form, uh, which is usually the case when someone's doing what we call trash kilometres or trash miles. Let's say that uh, they're running two, two and a half hours, but that last half an hour is a real slog, their form's crappy and they're putting themselves at risk of injury. What we would prefer is they run an hour 45 in the morning and 45 minutes at night. If we get those two runs in within about eight hours, we get the same physiological effect. And that's a brilliant way to minimise injury risk and still get great results because in the afternoon you're running on tired legs but you're not going to have poor form um, compared to if you you overran in, in one single session. So that's what a peak week will look like, which is what we've always got to consider in the beginning because we work backwards, right? And so in the early weeks, what we want to do is just make sure that we're laying the foundations of aerobic capacity. So from week one to four of the program, it's working majority in zone two or the aerobic zone under the math heart rate and using the example of five sessions a week. Again, it would be 20 minutes to 40 minute sessions weekdays with some longer sessions on the weekend probably around the 60 to 75 minutes, depending on where someone's coming from. Now, let's say an athlete can't quite jog comfortably at a consistent pace at a math math heart rate or aerobic zone. We would then adopt a jog-walk strategy. And what that looks like could be very varied, but a couple of options would be doing nine-minute jog and one-minute walk and just repeat that over the duration. Or it might be five-minute jog, one-minute walk, or three-minute jog and two-minute walk, for example. Again, very dependent on where someone's at. Now, that's not necessarily dependent on someone's fitness. That could be because one particular week you've had very high stress from things going on in life and so you can't maintain a heart rate and pace that you would normally. And so it's okay to have those days or weeks where we do take a bit of a regression to be able to progress forward. So that's what the first four weeks would look like. 
and uh, each week we're looking to build um, a progression of load of about 5 to 10%. So let's say you complete two hours total in week one, you add 5 to 10% of that and continue on week to week. But every four or so weeks, we'd also look at reducing that load uh, to ensure we get adaptation. And adaptation is where we take rest and recovery to allow performance benefits to take hold. Uh, fitness basically can't happen without adaptation. So we build up the fatigue, we build up the load, and then we have some recovery and bring that training stress balance back to neutral before we build up again. Prevents burnout, prevents injury, uh, and gives you a bit of a rest. Uh, so with that deciding how much to progress, again, it's based on history. If you're susceptible to illness or injury, you'd progress by 5%. If you don't have any history of that and you're ticking along really nicely, then you could you could load closer to 10% each week. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And then, So then we've go from, say, week 5 through to your peak week at week 10, Again, we're, we're progressing each week with duration. And if someone is running comfortably at their aerobic heart rate quite consistently and getting good results at that math heart rate, we can look to put some uh, short, sharp intensity efforts in there to boost up someone's uh, anaerobic and aerobic capacity. But it, for others, it might be they've started at a jog walk strategy in weeks one to four with three-minute jog, two-minute walk. But in as the weeks go on and they improve, then they progress to a five-minute jog and one-minute walk, for example. And the idea is that we just need consistency week to week so that those peak weeks can occur without any problems, really. Does that give you enough to, like clarity around what a whole... 12 weeks would look like or anything else I should cover in more detail? Um, no, I think that's a really great place to start. I mean, obviously it's really individual, but I think it's important to have those parameters to work with and to, I think, be really honest with where your current fitness is because there's, you know, some amazing concepts within that that are probably not as conventional as a, a standard training program that you might get online so you know the yeah the mentality then is you know challenging for people to think about you know adding two sessions and how that might help with the distance also like walk run like we know that it's really possible to get some amazing results without any of the you know, side effects that we've been talking about. But again, that's not something that everyone's comfortable doing because they feel like they've got to be running the whole time. Yeah, amazing points you've brought up there and mostly centred around mindset. And I certainly forget that the way I coach and program is a little bit left of conventional. And so what we're speaking about, you probably won't find in a, a traditional program that you download uh, from Google. On that split run concept, I think the, and even working off duration as opposed to distance, come back to that analogy of focusing on time on legs, that's what counts. So let's say someone's goal or prediction is that they would run the 21 kilometres in two hours 15. 
that's our focus. We need to make sure that their body is ready to cope with load over two hours, 15. And that, that doesn't mean running for two hours, 15 every session. We look at the weekly load and the recovery and we get the body closer to being ready for that. So that might mean, say, a Friday evening, someone goes for a 45-minute, 60-minute run and in the morning it's 90 minutes. And so we gradually get them closer to that two hours, 15, and recovering from that load. Um, in some circumstances, for the mindset point of view, it can be hard for people to wrap their head around, oh, but I'm going into an event and I'm going to probably be running for two hours, 15, two hours, 30. And the longest session at one time I've done is one hour 45. I understand mentally that can be hard for some people to wrap their head around and does require a lot of trust in the program or a coach if you've got them. And if you do have a coach, make sure you talk to them about it and uh, express those concerns or fears so that you can develop a mental strategy around that. One of the things I do for athletes that if we work on that mental side of things and we come to a conclusion that it's going to be imperative that that person run 19, 20, 21K prior to the event for the psychological benefit and confidence of that, then we make that um, decision and program around that to ensure that that higher load and stress on the body doesn't take away from the event. So, for example, I wouldn't program what I call it a challenge run because it's or a race simulation. I wouldn't program that one week out or even two weeks out. It would be closer to three or four weeks out, ensuring that there's enough recovery and can bounce back from it. But it, honestly, physio, from a physiological perspective, it's not necessary. You don't have to run the distance prior to the event to be able to do it on the day. But if it's going to make a significant psychological difference and reduce anxiety, then maybe weigh that up and go, that's what I need to program around. But it does need to be like a quite a mindful decision. Yeah, I agree. And again, acknowledging, you know, what you've been talking about the individual and how they're feeling and if they're predisposed to injury, because obviously that shapes a lot of the decision. Um, and I agree, definitely doing that run early if where possible, because, you know, you shouldn't be doing your biggest run very close to race day because we obviously then <laughs> you run the risk of not being recovered, right? And recovery is everything. Yeah, you, you train to race. You don't race to train. Mm. So I don't see a huge value in training the race distance unless it's going to have a significant psychological impact. But I would first try some sports psychology techniques and working with someone, whether it's developing a bit of a visualisation uh, technique um, or some anxiety management mantras and self-talk to help someone overcome that barrier of, oh, I haven't run the distance prior to the event, will I, that unknown of will I make it, uh, which I totally understand. So it's just finding that right answer strategy for each person. Yeah, for sure. 
Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. For those of you on your own health journey, you know that a lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, and you think you're doing well, and then something else pops up. It's like um, always, you're always learning. It's just a, it's not something that just happens overnight and suddenly you're well. If I actually had been so wrong about this really important thing in my life, what else was I wrong about? And it got me down this, uh, this place of questioning all the concepts that I had. And then I came to one question, which was, who am I beyond concept? When I was a little kid, I really always had trouble with food intolerances. I realized that there was a lot to be said for the way you eat. You come to the same place that I came to, and it's a place of complete freedom. Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.